Good morning, everyone. Today is part three of a series we're doing in the foundations of our faith. And I'm going to give you a very brief recap of the last two that we've done, and then we launch into part three. So uh, let me, uh, actually, let me just skip over the plan for today, and we'll talk about um, last the last two weeks. Um, two weeks ago, we did the subject of how God is different to us, about qualities we share with God, and our experience of God. We talked about what God is like. Um, in theological terms, you'd call it his attributes. We can talk about the ways in which we're similar and the ways in which we're different. And our experience of God is that there are, there are parts of God which are quite awesome, quite, in some senses, terrifying. And he's described as this fire that came down upon a mountain. But there are other aspects of God that are, are loving and tender and just deeply touching and safe. And we saw some stories of people who experienced both aspects of God at the same time and how they could experience God as being extraordinarily powerful and yet feel completely safe in his presence. And we talked about how the tendency is in Christianity to let go of one of those two things, either let go of God's God's uh, uh, tender love and just be terrified by him or let go of the fact he's all-powerful and just think of him as a pal, as a friend. But really, we need to have both of those intention. So that was what we did two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about God and the spirit world. We talked about the different kinds of being in existence, uh, the pagan worldview and avoiding it and about evil and suffering. And then how we can respond to that. And I just briefly went through, well, I'm going to briefly go through now, the pagan worldview where you have different levels. You have gods at the top, then you have angels and demons and ancestors, and then priests or shamans or gurus or watch doctors or whatever you call them, and then ordinary people. And how this is was the distance between us and God. And, and instead of having a, a deep, close relationship with a loving God, you have to try and kind of figure this demonic world and get power to punch through it and how these ideas from paganism have infiltrated Christianity and there's been a fascination with with you know disrupting demonic powers as if God is not our friend who is with us and in fact the biblical worldview is there's two kinds of beings there's God and then there's created beings and in fact if we're in Jesus Christ we are above the created beings that um, he is through Jesus Christ, we're raised above all principalities and powers and every name that is named in this world and in the world to come. So uh, what I'd like to do, I'm just going to go back to that slide I started with. What I'd like to do is to talk about the, uh, I'd like to talk about what, sorry, I've got the wrong one there. There we go. Plan for today. Something has gone wrong. Something is wrong with this world. I want to talk about the source of the problem. I want to talk about where we are now. I want to talk about restoring a broken world and then personally living in victory over the same temptation. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. So I'd like to begin by talking about something has gone wrong. 
Most people will agree, I think, that there are problems with this world today. There's something that's very wrong with the world today. There's some, there's something that is, um, that's not good about the world today. And in a moment, I'm going to talk about something that happened, uh, back in 1971, which is quite interesting. But before I come to that, why is there so much injustice and extreme poverty in the world? Why there was that are based on greed or desire for power or hatred or, or just hatred of those different to ourselves. Um, why is there most, so much sickness even with today's medicine? And then you can say, how can sometimes a whole nation with seemingly good people um, turn against a minority and minority and treats them worse than animals? And this has happened more than once in recent history. What is it that can happen that can cause people to behave like that? So I don't know if any of you heard of the Stanford prison experiment done at Stanford University in 1971. A movie's been made about it. It was a, it was such a shocking experiment that it, I think a lot of people rethought their ideas of humanity because of what happened. Um, the, the, uh, Philip Zimbardo, who uh, ran the experiment, he wrote, uh, what happens when you put good people in an evil place? Does humanity win over evil or does evil triumph? These are some of the questions we posed in this dramatic simulation of prison life conducted in 1971 at Stanford University. So what they did is they they built a, uh, set up uh, like a mock prison a simulation of a prison in the university and they put signs up and they designated areas for prisoners and areas for guards. And then they asked for volunteers amongst the student body and people could volunteer to be a student or a guard. And they had a a big collection of students and guards and they started running this experiment and the guards were just told, you know, this is, you know, just behave like a prison guard. They weren't given like a strict hierarchical supervision, but they were just told to you know, treat these, these, are, these are prisoners. And the prisoners just had to do what they were told. And they were dressed in prison garb. It was done as realistically as they possibly could. So they ran this experiment and what happened was quite shocking. How we went about testing these questions and what we found may astound you. Our planned two-week investigation into the psychology of prison life had to be ended after only six days because of what the situation was doing to the college students who participated. In only a few days, our guards became sadistic and our prisoners depressed and showed signs of extreme stress. So these ordinary students just... Ordinary guys from the student body started becoming cruel and violent and sadistic towards other students in this. And their conclusion was that something was happening uh, that was somehow in these people that was coming out when there was no expectation of their behavior and they had this, this freedom. And they felt that this maybe explained what was going on in places like Nazi Germany or other places in the world where you see extreme, uh, unbelievable levels of violence against groups of the population by people who you would think would be just 
normal, responsible people. And the conclusion was, we really don't understand. But something is very dark inside in people that can at times come out. Um, this is one of the original photographs from the, the um, experiment, and he's, I think he's carrying a club at that point. Um, so this seems very confusing because most people are capable of being nice and loving. Um, you've probably got many friends who are not Christians, and they can be wonderful people, deeply loving and, and giving and self-sacrificial. So I want to talk then, first of all, about the source of this problem. The Bible tells us that God made the word perfect and placed humankind in charge. Yet the design was that people would live in close dependence in a loving relationship. This was the plan, close dependence and a loving relationship. So I want to say what went wrong. So Adam and Eve... The first humans were put in a perfect reality. And this was a place of order and harmony and beauty and perfect love, but it was surrounded by by chaos. And their task was to spread this harmony over the whole earth. They were given a small area called Eden, and they were to spread this harmony and beauty over the whole earth. So, the stability of this reality that they're in depended on them maintaining their allegiance to God. Now, this is very, very crucial that we get this. So there's a beautiful, perfect reality, but it's dependent on God's power flowing into it. And if they maintain this, his life could constantly flow into them and they could be spreading this order and beauty across the world. And they were given a very simple thing to mark their allegiance. They were given something they were told to do as like a marker of their allegiance. And the simple thing was, don't eat from a a particular tree. And uh, I just want to dispel one myth to start with, that the tree was not an apple tree no matter what Apple computers would like you to believe. It was not an apple tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it doesn't, there's none around at the moment. Um, But there's a very, this is a very important point. Um, It wasn't eating the fruit that was the problem in itself. That wasn't the problem. It was a symbol of stepping out of dependence, stepping out of dependence, which broke the flow of power from God and broke that relationship. So that's crucial to understand. It wasn't simply taking a bite from a fruit. It was stepping out of allegiance, which broke the whole of the way reality was structured at that point, because they were at the point where they were receiving this from God. So what happened? Another being from the universe came onto the scene and suggested to them that God did not have their best interests in heart, in his heart. They suggested that he could not be trusted and that they didn't need him anyway. Now, I'm going to give you a a symbolic image of this, which we're going to use later on, because this is a key to what happened. So if you can describe God's will as a circle, so this is everything that God has provided for them to do, everything that's, that's good, legitimate, that's a gift from God, um, 
And anything, any X in that is what you've chosen to do. And within that, it's God's will. So the real question is this, which is the same question we're going to see comes to us, is do my best interest like inside that circle or outside that circle? Is God keeping me some, for something that is good? And if I take it from outside that circle, I'm going to do better because God's going to try and keep me from something. So this is the key, the core of what happened in Genesis 3, and it's the key to what happens in our life when we are tempted. It sums up every choice we make. So when Adam and Eve made this choice, it broke this carefully constructed universe. When even Adam ate what God told them not to, they actually stepped out of allegiance to God and it fractured the whole of reality. It led to shame. We don't understand exactly how this happened, uh, but it led to the harmony in the universe being smashed and even the animal and plant kingdom were disrupted through this. It wasn't just their relationship with God, but Reality was disrupted through this fracturing of allegiance. Um, but God was determined to repair this. And he promised that ultimately Eve would destroy evil through one of her descendants. He promised that Eve would destroy evil through one of her descendants. He said, God said to Satan on behalf of Eve, her offspring will crush your head. And so this statement here was is the, the heading, if you like, over the rest of the scriptures. The rest of the Bible is the story of how that worked out. And of course, the ultimate offspring from Eve was Jesus. And he is the one who ultimately crushed the serpent, crushed the power of evil. So let's just go back to my plan for today. Something has gone wrong. We'll all agree that there's something that's wrong in this universe. The source of the problem is this disruption that happened. This choice in Eden, Eve and Adam chose not to, to, to follow God, but to follow something outside of what God's will was. And that's going, we're now going to talk about where we are now. Like what, how this has led to us now. And then we're going to talk about restoring a broken world. And then finally, living in victory over the same temptation. So, where we are now. Uh, So I want to say, when humans first disobeyed God, it was more than a small mistake. It was an act of defiant rebellion that severed this relationship. This perfect universe became spoiled and broken. Sickness and death entered the world and every child born inherited this brokenness. What was most broken was the human spirit. Now it was separated from God. Instead, we became centered on ourselves and often see God's laws as restrictions keeping us from happiness. This is the circle again. Happiness lies outside of it. We see God's laws as something that restricts us and keeps us from this. However, I want to say that there is a balance here. Because there is something which the theological name is common grace, 
which means that every human carries the image of God. Every human is created in the pattern of God and and has a godness about them. And so beauty, creativity, love, self-sacrifice, sometimes in extraordinary ways can can uh, come from broken humans because although there's a brokenness, they still are carrying God's image. Um, uh, yet tainted, this is tainted by an unwillingness to give allegiance to, to the God who gave these gifts. So if I wanted to, to give you uh, an illustration of this, imagine a huge cask of the most amazing wine, the most expensive wine in the world, and uh, someone was to take a little, uh, little cup and dip it in some sewage and, and pour it into the wine and then stir the wine. Would you want to drink from it? No, you wouldn't. But like it's 99.9% the best, but the trouble is it's been spoilt. By, it's been tainted by this. And this is the problem, that humanity is still beautiful. We are still in God's image. Humans can do the most extraordinary things, but it's tainted by this unwillingness to give allegiance to God, which breaks the connection with the divine and ultimately renders everything spoiled by that. That is the human tragedy. That is the tragedy of humanity. So what got passed down from Adam and Eve through down to us? What got passed down? Well, it wasn't guilt. The Bible is very clear that we are only held accountable for what we've done. We're not guilty for what someone else has done. What got passed down was our tendency to make choices outside of God's will. This brokenness of our relationship, the brokenness of our trust in God got handed down. And this brings us to the main passage of scripture today, which this is centered on, which is Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, uh, I want to ask the question, how did God go about keeping his promise to Eve? He'd made this promise that he would crush evil. How did he go about doing that? He said he'd do it by a new human would re, re, reruns the same test that Eve and Adam failed. A new human reruns the tests and, of course, passes at this time. And we're going to look now at um, uh, Romans and uh, chapter 5 and verses 12 through 19. So let's just, I'm going to bring this passage up and I've arranged it in a particular way to I want to show the opposites, the contrasts in this passage. So, uh, starting in verse 12, so then, just as sin entered the world through one human and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned, But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. So he's going to compare two things. He's going to compare the initial sin and then the gracious gift. If the many, if the many died through the offense of one, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one, Jesus Christ, multiply to the many? And if the gift is not is not like the one who sinned, for judgment resulting from the one led to tra- the one transgression led to condemnation, but the gracious gift following 
the many falls led to justification. So many fell, but the gracious gift led to justification. So what is justification? Well, that, that word, uh, although it sounds like it's a legal word, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're not condemned. In fact, it's more to do with a relationship being restored. It's more to do with being brought back into a relationship with God where you're pronounced to be in relationship with him and everything is restored. And so a gift happened that undid the bad things. So again, you can see this parallel. One, one, one at the beginning and it's like picturing Jesus as being a new Adam. Is picturing, although it was Adam and Eve that, that sinned, is picturing like they were the original ones. Jesus is a new start for humanity. And what he is doing is making a new start. If by the transgression of one, death reigns through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one? So now he's contrasting the effect. The effect is death. The effect is reigning in life. So it's restoring Eden. Consequently, just as condemnation of all people came through one transgression, so too, through the one righteous act, came righteousness leading to life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. So you can see very clearly here that there is a a paralleling up of what happened with Eve and Adam and what happened with Jesus. So what does this actually mean? What it means is, and we're going to be unpacking this in a later Sunday morning, so I won't spend too much time on this, but really what happened is Jesus began a new humanity. He didn't just wash things clean. He began a new humanity. And we can actually get transplanted from being the descendants of Adam and Eve into being the descendants of Jesus Christ. And we leave the old humanity and we become part of the new humanity. And by doing that, we actually are no longer under the power of what happened before. We're no longer under its curse. We're no longer inheriting the problems. And we have, we have Jesus as our as our head, rather than we have from Adam and Eve. So uh, this is the message of the gospel. This is the basis on which God can give us forgiveness. This is the basis in which we can have a power for a new life. And so uh, this, is the, 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 this is what God is calling us to respond to, because he is offering, it says it's a free gift, it's a gracious gift. It's not something we have to earn. What we have to do essentially is to to say, I'm not going to choose to live my life outside of that circle. I'm going to choose to live my life inside of that circle, which is effectively with allegiance to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to follow this command, which is like the opposite of the command that that was was given to Adam and Eve in the garden. The opposite of that command, which was uh, the 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 they were not to do something. We are told to do something. We are told to, if you like, eat of Jesus Christ, survive for Jesus Christ, take him into us, depend on him. And so I'm challenging you this morning. If you don't follow Jesus this morning, if you're part of 
the broken world when you don't know what the answer is. I want to tell you, you can receive this answer by choosing to live inside God's plan, choosing to follow Jesus and to take him as the one who provides for you. So uh, let's just go back then to my plan for today. And um, I want to just, uh, let's just go back. There we go. Um, something has gone wrong. The source of the problem we saw was what happened in Eden. Where we are now with the, with the brokenness in the world and restoring a broken world through what Jesus did. So what I'd like to do is to talk finally about living in victory over the same temptation. Living in victory over the same, te- same temptation, because if you like, we are in Eden all the time with the type, kind of tests that we are given. Um, and I want to say that, um, that Satan is a, he is a, a liar and his temptation comes through his lies. And what I'm going to say is that all of the temptations that we follow fit this picture. Now, I'm going to just spend a, a short time. I'm not going to spend a long time on this because maybe at another time I'll go into this in more depth. But there's a summary in 1 John 2 and verse 16 of temptation in three phases. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this is very interesting, because it turns out that those three things he mentions is a very good summary of kinds of temptations that we have. In fact, when you look back to the original temptation, you can see the same thing. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food... Uh, it, it, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And so you can see three things in there. There's, uh, it's good for food. You know, it's food. It's, it's, it's like fills our body. Uh, that was the first thing, desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes, wow, this must, I mean, it must have looked like a really amazing fruit. Really, really beautiful. Uh, just so wonderful. She's looking at it and she says, oh, wow, that looks so good. I wonder what that tastes like. Have you ever looked at food like that? And you think, oh, that's so amazing. That must be so nice to eat. And she's looking at that. And then, oh, but you know, if, if, I, if I eat that, I will get this extra wisdom. It's going to take me to a new place. And so that's a, a good summary, a good three, three points to summarize uh, what temptation is about. Let's just unpack this just briefly. Um, desires of the flesh. So something connected with our physical needs and wants. The fact that we've got a, a physical body. Um, so uh, we, we've, we, we have things that come out of that, that come out of our physicality. And uh, Satan suggested when Jesus was tempted that he, he'd fasted for 40 days, hadn't he? And it's interesting that Jesus' temptations in the wilderness, which was like a rerun of the Garden of Eden, Satan's temptations actually matched these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because the first one was about his body. Do you remember the first temptation? He'd fasted for 40 days. Look, you could turn those stones into bread and you could eat. 
It was, it was for his body, his food, his food. And Satan suggested to Jesus that he'd legitimate plaint, complaint against God. Look, God's been keeping you from eating. Look, you could eat. It's not wrong to eat, is it? Jesus was hungry. God hadn't provided bread for him. Why shouldn't he provide for himself? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt, oh no, I owe it this to me. This is, this is something that's, you know, it's good for me. Okay. It may not be what God says is good, but like, but it's, it's good. There's something good about this. And, um, and so this, this temptation is something which is, which is a core to all of, all of, uh, um, that, sorry, put this right. This is, this part of temptation, the desires of the flesh, is core to a lot of the things that we're tempted with. You can think of David. He is, um, one day he's up on the roof of his house and he looks down and there's a woman bathing herself and she's very beautiful. And he's looking at that. Now, there's a circle. You know, God's given him a circle. This is where you satisfy your sexual appetites. This is not where you satisfy your sexual appetites. Yes, but she's so beautiful. And so he desires that. His, his, his flesh, like his body, desires that. And he chooses something outside of that circle, which, of course, leads him into horrific problems. So that is the desires of the flesh. Um, good things, that there's nothing wrong with the things in and of themselves, but they're things that are not right for us at that time to have. So the next thing, uh, desires of the eyes. So I would say, you know, culture, art, science, houses, gardens, cars, home electronics, films, literature, drama, music, um, education, technology, the great achievements of mankind. These are great things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But these things can become idols for us and they can become something that's above God. And sometimes when there's a choice, do I follow this or do I follow God? We can say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. I should, what's wrong with that? And this was actually Jesus' second te- temptation. Satan showed him all the glorious achievements of mankind. He took him on a high mountain and said, all of this glory can be yours if you worship me. And this was the, the desires of the eyes. He was shown all of this. And so a lot of our temptation to idolatry is to put, is to make these our gods and take the place that belongs to Jesus Christ. And the last one, the pride of life, uh, to be worth something, to be recognized. All of us long to have value, to be recognized, um, uh, wanting to be highly thought of, um, it's what's behind exaggeration. You know, we can be exaggerating. Uh, um, I'm someone who knows a lot of things about people. You'll find me interesting to talk to. That's what's behind gossip. You know, you're 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 saying things that are secret things. Well, you know, I'm I'm a valuable person to get to know. Um, telling stories that set you in a good light. Um, yesterday, and uh, I, yesterday I was chatting to the Queen of England. You know. And she said, oh, Andrew, you're a great guy. You're an amazing guy. You know, just dropping that into the conversation. And um, we like to do that. We like to say, to bring things in that make us out to be special. And, of course, ultimately, the desire for power and fame and recognition. And uh, it's interesting. This was Jesus' last temptation. Do you remember what it was? 
His last temptation, Satan took him up onto the roof of the, onto the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off and angels will come and rescue you. Instant fame, like instantly, uh, everybody can see what an amazing person he is. And, um, so we can be tempted, uh, to, to want this, to want recognition and fame. So I'm only going, this is a very, very quick summary. I could spend a lot of more time talking about how Satan uses these and what, how we can defend against them. But um, I want to say one more thing. Uh, as I said last week, we're too quick to blame Satan for our temptations and say, oh, and it's him. Actually, we're told uh, in James 1, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so you don't need Satan to sin. You can do it all by yourself very easily. I want to go back to this picture, and I'd like to just ask the worship team to come up now. I want you to look at this for a minute and think in your life, where, what is it? that you're thinking of, maybe there's some lies in your life right now that are telling you that something outside of that circle is good. That are telling you, yeah, you know, it's not what God has said, but that would actually be really, really good. If I could do that, that would be really good. And that is the fundamental lie that broke humanity. The lie that God is keeping us from something that ultimately is good for us And if we had it, we'd be better off. And he's kind of keeping us from that. Um, And I want to say the answer to that lie, and this is what I'm going to end with, the answer to that lie is there is more joy in Jesus than in anything else this world has to offer. There is more joy in Jesus. What is inside the circle of what God is bringing to you, is better than anything outside the circle could be. And the choice that you have is, are you going to believe God? Are you going to to give your allegiance to God and say, yes, that is what I'm going to do because I trust you and I follow you? Are you going to say, yeah, you know, maybe maybe he's trying to keep something from me. Maybe there's something good outside of his will. And I want to tell you that every single temptation that you are facing right now or you will face in the future can come down to this question because this was the original question and it always will be the question. So, I'd like to close in prayer now, and I'd like to pray for each of us, because I know each of you are having a struggle in some kind of area in your life. I'm having struggles in areas of my life, and we need God's power to have victory over those things. And we need to see the lie. We need the Spirit to reveal to us the lie, because when we see the lie, then often that deals with the problem. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you can be trusted. Thank you that your goal for us is better than we could possibly imagine. That within your will is perfect joy. Within the circle you want for us is perfect happiness. We pray, God, that you would show us the lie that wants to tell us otherwise. You'll show us what's going on 
when we start to be tempted to go outside of that. Please, Lord, for every single person here, I want to pray for every person here. Lord, you know where their struggle is right now. I pray, Lord, you would give them the victory through the power of Jesus. Amen.